I'm Paul Garabedian for my Many Screens Big Picture Podcast, and today I'm thrilled to have on the show Sean Robbins, Chief Analyst at BoxOffice.com. I look at us as brothers in arms. We're out there in the box office trenches every day, every week, every month, every year, and we're out in the press a lot talking about the issues that face the industry, particularly within the framework of the pandemic. Obviously, there are some things going on right now as we speak that are very important to the industry. I think very encouraging. But I think for for us, the main topic today is going to be windows. And let's talk a little bit about windows for those who don't know what they are. Sean, we can talk about that a little bit right now. So windows, what, what does that mean to people who are, I think most people listening know what they are, but what is a window in the realm of the business? And welcome, by the way. Thank you, Paul. It's an honor. We've kind of crossed paths many times over the years, so it's good to do this like one-on-one finally. Absolutely. Windows. I've never had to, I've never really thought about that, to be honest. I've never had to answer that question, but I guess I just take it for granted working in this industry. (laughs) Yeah. So to me, I would say the best way to describe it is the period of time. This is just going to seem very basic, but the period of time that a movie can play in theaters exclusively it's it's essentially their product before it goes to availability in homes, whether that's over rentals or purchasing or any of the other myriad of avenues it can release nowadays. And I think it is a very simple thing. It's not rocket science in terms of the definition. It really is that period between when a film is released in theaters exclusively, like you said, and it builds prestige as well, as we know, and then at a certain point, and it traditionally the windows were very long. 90 days is sort of the the basic definition. Like it was always a 90-day window. And I think this has been a point of contention uh, in the industry for years. How long is too long? Does it make sense? And I think you'd agree that the pandemic accelerated not only the conversation about windows, but strategies now related to windows, which have been in the news uh, a lot recently. But I think you'd agree the pandemic had a lot to do with all these changes. I mean, I think it's obvious, but clearly it forced the issue. For sure. And, you know, I think we're, we're at an interesting point right now because we still don't know where this is going to go. I mean, we, we're seeing developments and we're seeing certain studios make certain agreements with certain exhibitors, but there is very far from a a a blueprint that's going to apply to everyone. And I don't know if there will be, I think it will be studio based, potentially exhibitor based and even a case by case film based, maybe even franchise based. You know, it's hard to say that a Marvel movie is going to have the same period of exclusivity as maybe the SpongeBob franchise or something. They're going to be two very different uh, products for a lot of reasons. So yeah. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because You've been talking about this for a lot longer than I have. And I I just remember growing up like I didn't realize what a window was, but I I distinctly remember being a kid, seeing a movie in theaters, you know, back in the the early 90s. And I would constantly ask my parents, uh, when's that movie coming out on VHS? Because I want to buy it. And I remember calling the local video store and like, we don't have it yet. We don't have it yet. And it would be like six months sometimes. <laughs> and now that just seems archaic. Uh, it's it's hard to believe. It's 
funny you say that because I am quite a bit older than you are. So, but I had the same experience. For instance, in the, I think it was the 80s, I saw Sid and Nancy, the great Alex Cox movie about uh, Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen. And I saw it in a theater. I'm like, I must own this movie. I must have it. And like you, I had to wait at that time at least six months because remember they had rental, you could rent it many months in, but to buy it, the price was like a hundred bucks. We're talking about in the eighties. If you want to buy a VHS or a beta tape of, <laughs> of a movie, you could rent it first at a brick and mortar location. And then it would take a very long time. And some movies never, I think they called it a sell through. There was a term applied to that and it was extraordinarily expensive and think back what a dollar was worth back then versus, I mean, talking about inflation to, you had to really love move a movie back in the eighties <laughs> to spend 90 bucks on a VHS tape to, to see that movie. But that was to have that experience in the home. Likely a lot of people wouldn't want to buy a movie that way. If it hadn't been in a theater first, there was something about the waiting for it made it more coveted or wanted, but I think six months a year, that's a little too long <laughs> and in today's world. That's just not happening. Yeah. Attention spans have shortened by many degrees <laughs> since yeah. then. And part of that is unfortunately attributed to some of my generation. So I apologize, but no, it's, okay. it's the, yeah. it's, and now the generation after me. So it's, it's just going to, and that's, I think that's what always happens. I mean, I think when we look back on anything that was, you know, still a three month window, I think can be realistic in a lot of ways. That's not to say that we're going to go back to 90 day windows. Uh, I think that's very clearly if it does happen, it'll, it won't be across the board, but by and large, they will be much shorter, but they can still work. And Disney itself, I think is a great example of that because they've spent decades really controlling their content, maybe with a tighter grip than most other studios. I mean, they've been known to pull their films from the home market for periods of time where you, you could not buy that movie. I don't know if that'll really be the case anymore, but I think they're going to apply a similar thinking because they, like most studios, really value that theatrical avenue before getting to the home through streaming. And it, it really fascinates me because I think there's a lot more middle ground to be found than we've seen controversially debated over the years. And there have been some pros and cons to how this has played out. But the pandemic, as terrible as it has been for the industry, I think there is some positive you know, things that can come out of this in terms of finding that common ground and maybe even being beneficial in the long run to, to theaters. I agree 100%. Don't you feel too that the stress test that has been the release of Tom and Jerry just recently, Crudes 2, those movies did very well while being available at home simultaneously, or at least at some point in the timeline early on were both were available both on the small screen and the big screen and the sky didn't fall. Guess what? The sky didn't fall. Now I'm not advocating for day and date for every movie. I don't think actually anything intended for theatrical, I feel should have some sort of window theatrical with a theatrical first release in the early stages. Universal has the 17 days, but of course that's a dynamic window We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, about basing windows on box office performance. But it really has shown, I think, with these movies, oh, and when Wonder Woman 1984 opened and did so well at the box office. Now, albeit 
HBO Max is not free. <laughs> so it's not like those movies were available, just, you know, click of a button for free to anyone in the world. There was still that barrier to watching it at home because you had to be a subscriber or have HBO. But still, considering how sideline theaters have been and the percentage of theaters open and the capacity at such a low ebb, that I think it's extraordinarily encouraging and actually says, and you and I were both quoted in a, a CNN business story by the great Frank Pallotta, and you you had some great comments in there, and we I think we both agree that the sky isn't going to fall, that we need windows, but if anything, this has proven that the movie theater experience can withstand anything thrown its way, including a shortening of the windows. I just think the industry didn't want to take a chance on shortening the windows because it was this idea without testing it that if people could get it at home, they would not leave the house to go see that movie in a theater. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I f- very similar. I mean, it's been a forced stress test. And I think that that's one thing I, to me during this whole process, I, th- we've obviously we've talked for years about the potential of windows shortening, and there's been a lot of pushback on that, particularly from exhibition. Now they've, they, there's been no choice but to do that if they want the content. And, you know, while the downside is Warner Brothers has, from the theater perspective, while this strategy has been uh, met with a lot of heated responses, Tom and Jerry would not have opened to $14 million this weekend without that strategy. Now, that's not to say it can be sustainable. This is, it's very clearly a pandemic response. And I think, you know, Warner Brothers says it's for this year. I think we have to take a studio at their word when they say it's just for this year. Will it be? Will it not be? Well, let's talk about that for a second. Don't you don't you feel like, Sean, that there are some who are ascribing these changes to a forever strategy or saying that when Warner Brothers said our 2021 slate is going to go day and date? Now, like you said, we don't know if that'll continue, but I take them at their word and remembering that strategies can change at any time or subject to change without notice, as we always say. (laughs) But certainly I think that Warner Brothers in that strategy has shown other studios what can happen with that strategy, that you can have movies like Tom and Jerry do very, very well. But remember, I mean, I think we have to keep in mind in 2022, let's say theaters are back to 100%. I don't know that a day and date strategy makes sense for any theatrically destined or originally conceived of movie to do that day and date thing. I just don't see it. I have a hard time seeing it too. I think maybe there, there, there might be certain examples, but they won't represent the bulk of what drives this industry at the box office in particular. I mean, I guess from both a financial perspective in terms of what these studios need to make back on these productions, but just also from a cultural standpoint, I think it's too much to ask such a large industry to disappear overnight, not ask, but to suggest that it would, especially when this transition is not happening organically, I would say in the strictest sense. Streaming is not peaking right now for any other reason than a pandemic struck and no one's had a choice but to stream from home. And I think that's worth considering. And that's not to say that habits and preferences won't change over time or evolve because of what's going on. I do think they will. I I think, you know, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that too. I just, I I think it's, there's a difference between replacing such a a large, important cultural institution 
and seeing another one come into being. I think they can coexist, I guess, the short way of saying that. I agree. I think they can coexist. I think they are coexisting. I think we're seeing uh, not only, like you said, a stress test, but a market, you know, a test market playing out before our eyes with these movies being released in theaters, either with a shortened window or simultaneously and doing well on both platforms. Now, we don't have as much transparency in the numbers and it's different metrics that apply subscriptions, not for some, while you're not, it's not a per movie price where you could just say it's a one-to-one, like one ticket equals one person, like in a movie theater. But nonetheless, I think it just shows that people want to go to the movies and there is a pent up demand. And I really, I I think it's good because every time one of these movies, whether it be Crudes or Tom and Jerry, or, uh, you know, hopefully Raya and the last dragon will be the next one to prove again that the movie theater is here to stay. It's going to look a little different, both experientially and in terms of how films are released. But I think it's going to ultimately be better for the industry. I think you'd agree. Yeah, yeah. And I think going into Raya is a really interesting transition because Disney has been in this position for a year now of having everyone looking at what they're doing next because they're Disney. It's just really no other way to say it. And it's been all about when's Black Widow going to move? When's Black Widow going to move? And it's moved several times now over the course of the past 12 months. Now, coming one week after a successful animated opening, we're we're going into March, which I, I really think has more mainstream theatrical releases than we've seen since before lockdown last March. Are you then saying, Sean, that uh, it looks like we're sort of returning to normal? Are you prepared to? Ooh. You know, a little bit <laughs> like it. I mean, theaters are opening more. New York is going to open, uh, albeit with again, reduce capacity, but it kind of feels like we're getting there. It reminds me of some of the international markets where a strong pandemic response coupled with great product led to the reemergence of the box office. I think we're seeing that right now, but I, I, I won't make you go out on that limb, but definitely no. <laughs> it's looking pretty good. But the, you know, by having cities reopen and the strong performances, you think uh, other studios will be emboldened to stick to release dates or at least not keep moving down calendar if things keep going this way? I have a hard time saying they won't just because this is the upward trend that I think we all started. We wanted to see at the end of last summer when Tenant was coming out and there was optimism about theaters opening up and we had all these safety measures being implemented, but we were still very far off from a vaccine. And that's the difference now we not only have the vaccines they are being rolled out, not as maybe quickly as the world hoped, but progress is being made and we have timelines. So I think this is the next step, but exactly like you said, we have to continually brace for setbacks because this is about more than just the movie industry. And that's something you and I have both said frequently over the past year. It's the, the, the this industry is at the mercy of power is greater than itself right now like everything else. So, yeah, I mean, do you do you feel similar? Do you think this is the next step toward some normalization? I do. I think this is a step in the right direction. Look, let's say we're in a parallel universe and New York wasn't reopening, uh Tom and Jerry and other movies well underperformed or the streaming companies were releasing some sort of metrics that showed they are just at an all-time high. They're not cannibalizing each other. 
the whole world is going, you know, migrating to the small screen, that would be a big problem. And we'd have to really address that and deal with the reality of it. And I know there have been times where I've been, uh, you know, some people say that I'm too optimistic or that I'm not being realistic, but I think that optimism is realism when we're talking about what's happening right now, because we're not in that parallel universe. We're living in the here and now where we have more and more theaters open. We went from about 38% of theaters open a week before Tom and Jerry to 42% open, according to our Comscore data. And that's encouraging. We just want to keep moving up that ladder. And we had a weekend, an entire weekend that was a big weekend for the pandemic. I mean, Sean, we've had weekends that the entire weekend with every film earned seven or $8 million to even scratch 10 million was a big deal. Now we're getting up towards 20 million, some cases above that, depending on what movie is opening. I think we're on that road to recovery. Do you think Sean, that we'll have a uh, summer movie season? Will it start late? Will we, (laughs) will it matter just as long as we get it going? I mean, that to me last year was shocking. We did not, in 2020 have a summer movie season what happens in 2021 wow the you throw the hard questions out there uh i you know what again i think back you said it great optimism can be realism and i think it's i think absolutely believe it's possible and i think we'll have some form of a summer movie season i don't think it'll be 100 percent normal especially in that first half, you know, May and June are still on the fringes of what is achievable, especially while we all wait for Disney, even though they've, I think two weeks ago, reinforced said Black Widow is still theatrical. So that's a good sign. Fast nine is there. They just Disney put out the the Cruella trailer. So there are signs, there are movements, and then you've got June releases. And by the time you get to July through the rest of the year, it's just packed. So, and I would, I guess I kind of diverge in two answers here. Yes, I think we'll have some form of a movie season and then in a better fall and holiday season, but I would not say we might still see some shifts in in releases or potentially some films go day and date, especially early in the summer. That's kind of where my expectation is right now. What about you? I think you're spot on because how can you have a normal summer movie season if let's say at that point, and it's pure speculation that on May 7, there's 60% of theaters open or even or 50%, whatever it is, it's still not going to generate the kind of revenue and if there's still reduced capacity. But as time goes on, as more theaters are open and capacities are increased, I mean, I think really we have to wait till 2022 to see that return to $4 billion for 18 weeks of the summer. And maybe we should go back, Sean, to the good old days when the summer movie season literally started Memorial Weekend. <laughs> That's possible. I mean, that's not unrealistic because, you know, just a three week, I think three to four week window that Black Widow or something could push back. And the interesting thing is, I think Disney and Marvel in particular have to consider three other Marvel movies opening this year and whether or not Black Widow impacts that. So as much as we all kind of focus on Black Widow, that's why I would not be shocked if it goes to a day to day strategy, because it needs to get out there at some point for the rest of their slate to make sense which kind of was leading up to my thought of Spider-Man at Christmas. To me, that seems like, you know, again, maybe optimist thinking, but I think Spider-Man at Christmas later this year could be maybe that moment when everybody looks back and sees movie going back almost at full throttle, if not full throttle. It's the moment where it's like, wow, we're getting a big movie at Christmas. Christmas, always a big holiday. 
you know, that's why you have so many movies that go like opens Christmas day, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Cause it's such a touchstone. A lot of movies open on that day, regardless of the day of week, just to be able to say Christmas day. Yeah. But I think you make a good point though, about all these movies are not with most of them or the big franchise movies are not operating in a vacuum. They are part of an ecosystem, a universe, whatever you want to call it. Sarah Witten and I talked about that. I know you've worked with her a lot as well. And we talked about what do these mean? And you just kind of spelled it out there. If you keep moving one, you have to, every one of those movies impacts, every Marvel movie impacts in some way the other Marvel movies. Do you feel like almost people are now desensitized to late breaking release date? <laughs> Remember when it used to be, oh my God, a movie moved. Sky is, it's over. The sky is falling. But now it's like, oh, okay. It's not shocking at this point. And, and the poster of, of movie of them all, even more than you know anything Disney or Marvel, is no time to die. I mean, that movie was suffering delays before the pandemic. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's been trying to come out for three years now. So, yeah, and it's really um, – that's another movie I think people will look back on because it's very clear MGM is saving that for when things are back to normal. They want Bond – on the big screen for Daniel Craig's final outing. And I think that's exactly why I think people like you and I continue to speak about the importance of theatrical and how much it does still mean to people while still recognizing that there are these other means of consumption for entertainment like streaming. And so audience expectations and habits are going to change over time, but I think there are still those core experiences that people want to go back for. And it it will be movies like those, especially after a year to a year and a half being stuck at home. And we've seen that play out in markets like China and Japan and several others over the past few months. Well, I mean, China recently, uh, you know, a year ago, the Chinese Lunar New Year didn't exist. And it's the biggest movie going season in, in China. This year, they're breaking records. So what a difference a year makes when you have availability of theaters, a lot of great local product in China that's powering this box office success there. And they're really coming back in a big way in the APAC region in China in particular. And going back to your Bond comment, I mean, to me, Bond is a bridge too far. That cannot go small screen. No offense to the small screen, but unlike many other franchises, Bond, other than before even the first movie when there was a TV version of Casino Royale, way even before I was born, there's no small screen version of Bond or a spinoff. There've been parodies and spoofs and things like that. But Bond is just like theatrical. Oh, I can't eat. I grew up going to Bond movies in theaters. It would change to me the whole vibe of Bond and the Broccoli's and, and the, the Wilson's all, you know, the folks over the years who have been the custodians of Bond. I don't think that even if I think they backed a Brinks truck up and said you have unlimited well maybe not then but it's so important to the franchise to keep it and it was one of the first ones that moved no time to die april to november and then november to april and then april to october i don't know i might be getting those wrong but that thing's moved all over the map but you know what the fans will follow bond wherever it goes yeah absolutely and again you and i have both talked about it the vast majority of these big tent poles that really drive those box office numbers have been doing that. We've seen certain examples like Wonder Woman and Soul go to streaming, but compare that 
and I hate to say drops in a bucket when we're talking about potentially hundreds of millions of dollars on the line, but compared that to the many other films that have been delayed into this year and even next year at this point, it, it really speaks to studios, I think, having that commitment to theatrical long term at the same time, you know, they're chewing gum and walking at the same time. They can do that while building their streamers and not every studio has a streamer, which is another kind of topping talking really point. Good point. For instance, if you're a studio and you have your own streaming service, it's like owning the kitchen and the restaurant. You could do it. You can make right. it serve it and you don't have to go through a, a middleman. And it's just so, so amazing for those who think theatrical is going to go the way of the dodo, that they could literally do that. A company like Disney has so much content, is so powerful, yet they remain committed to theatrical. A, because some of it, it's not all just uh, for the good of mankind. Some of it is because how are you going to make close to $3 billion in worldwide box office without theatrical? How are you going to do that? And then also there's added value for films that play in theaters first, and it, it actually makes them more desirable on the small screen. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, look at a lot of these franchises and spinoffs we're seeing be announced or already be successful, such as on Disney plus are based on content that began in theaters. And it's a very existential question that we can't really know the answer to, but I think there's, I think there's a very strong feeling about whether or not that would have happened without it, because there's a nostalgia tied to things like star Wars and Marvel that, Probably without that theatrical nostalgia, I think in particular, families going out and experiencing those things with not just their friends and families, but with rooms full of strangers, there's that's like one of the few things in this world that just kind of unites people for a couple of hours. And, you know, without that over the years of you know going to see wh whatever movie it was or franchise, I don't think we get things like The Mandalorian and WandaVision becoming these, you know, sensations of pop culture. You're a hundred percent on that. I think that's the thing that's lost. We tend to get caught up in the dollars and cents, but there's a huge emotional factor that's in play here. That's kind of baked into our collective DNA about going to anything that a concert, I miss going to concerts. I don't miss trying to park and you know, all that stuff, but I miss being in that electric, you know, the electricity in the air that you get, especially uh, for instance, when, when I first saw get out, in a movie theater, people were like out of their minds. You would not get that same feeling. People were so affected by that movie and other movies as well. There is. And if you think about it too, there's been some fantastic films put out by streamers, but they're in this sea of content to me. And this is going to sound funny, Sean. I think of the movie theater as a boutique in a weird way because it's curated. You have to make a, a lot of effort to go out there. So this artisanal curated thing. It's not like you just sit on your couch and push a button. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I, I love doing that, but there is just something about handpicking a movie, which you really have to do and then making the human effort to go see it, buying the ticket, driving or walking, however you're going to get to the theater. And like you said, sitting in that room with a bunch of like-minded individuals who will actually generally sit quietly for two hours in the dark together. And it's one of those experiences where you, that lobby buzz is something I can't wait. I'm looking forward to very much to having that again, where you hear people talking about the movie when they walk out, you just can't get that at home. 
I'm not saying, well, I do think, I mean, I'm biased. I think the theater theatrical experience is the best experience to enjoy content. And it really, I think, is being proven right now that people are feeling that irrespective of the dollars and cents, capacity, uh, projections, all those uh, very clinical-minded ways of analyzing this have to be, I think, tempered with an understanding as you brought up so eloquently earlier that there's a human element. There's that communal element that really makes movies special. 100%. You brought up going to concerts for me. It's, you know, this past year, it's been comparing the movie industry to things like that. And for me, I can't wait for baseball season. I can't wait to go and see a live game. <laughs> I, rem- I went to a playoff game. My team is the Atlanta Braves and I went to their playoff game the year before last in Atlanta and they got blown out by the Cardinals. And it was just a miserable emotional experience that I shared with 50,000 people. And as terrible as it was, it was still, it made me want to go back. And I compare that to going to the movies. Like there's you brought up that, that communal aspect. And to me, it's that it applies to movies, concerts, sports, everything like that. And I think all of these, these industries are just going to see maybe even a lot of people who stopped doing those things come back to them. I agree. And it's ironic that the very thing that makes movie theaters, bars, restaurants, sporting events, concerts, special communal and immersive are the two very things that don't work during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it just, it was (laughs) the most imperfect storm. I should say, well, it's a perfect storm, but you know what I mean? That affected the big screen business in such a profound way. Like you said at the top of the call, it wasn't a mandate against the movie theater experience. It was the pandemic, the the nuts and bolts of that, the practical uh, side of that and the health side of it, just saying you literally can't go. It wasn't like people chose, oh, I'm not going to go. Look, and we had record box office globally in 2019. Streamers were there back in 2019 and the movie theaters still broke records around the world. So I'm, I'm very encouraged. I'll give you the last word. Uh, how do you feel? Uh, what do you think the future holds for the business or is it just unknowable at this point? We'll reconnect in 2022 and see where we're at. You know, I think both, I think we're going to have to reconnect because this is something we're going to be talking about for so long. I, we will, we'll see some recovery, but it will take time. I think this business will thrive. It will be in new ways. And I, you know, I think evolution forces very interesting ways of adapting and that's the state that the theater business is in now. And so are Hollywood studios. So it's really just more of a general, I think, optimistic outlook. But this industry and movies in particular have overcome so much over the last century. And it's not surprising to me at all that we're seeing people start to come back where it's safe to do so. And with new movies, it's just a matter of getting there. How long is that process going to take? And but ultimately, I think it'll happen. I agree. That's very well said. I think we'll wrap it up there. And and Sean Robbins, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I think we will have to reconnect in the future, do a follow-up podcast. If we get a summer movie season out of this, <laughs> and maybe that summer movie season starts on July 4th, maybe it starts Memorial Weekend, maybe it starts May 7th, we will talk about it. Sean, thank you so much for being on many screens. Big picture It was just a real, real pleasure to have you on the show. Absolutely. It's my honor, Paul. I appreciate the invite. 